You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Connection with the sermon this afternoon, which we'll be dealing with the Lord's Prayer, the second petition, Your Kingdom Come. We have a number of readings to read together. Begin Matthew chapter 13. The Lord Jesus taught frequently about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, while he was teaching during his time on earth. And we read some of that teaching in terms of parables here in Matthew chapter 13. We'll read two of those parables together. Matthew 13 at verse 31. He, that is the Lord Jesus, told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all the se- of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked through all the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. And then we'll jump over to verse 44 on the next page if you're following along in your pew Bible. Verse 44, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, He hid it again, and then in his joy he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And then we'll turn to Paul's letter to the Romans, and we'll continue to read there about the kingdom of God. Romans chapter 14, beginning at verse 5. Apostle Paul is teaching the Romans about the weak and the strong, how they should relate to each other in the church. And he says this at Romans 14, verse 5. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God, and he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. 
If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are not acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Our text this afternoon is the Word of God as it's summarized and confessed in Lord's Day 48 of the Heidelberg Catechism. It deals with the second petition of the Lord's Prayer. We confess there in this question and answer format, what is the second petition? Your kingdom come. That is, so rule us by your word and spirit that more and more we submit to you. Preserve and increase your church. Destroy the works of the devil. Every power that raises itself against you and every conspiracy against your holy word. Do all this until the fullness of your kingdom comes, wherein you shall be all in all. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, this afternoon we come to the second petition, Your Kingdom Come. I'd like us to take a moment at the beginning of this sermon. Close your eyes if that helps you. Remove all distractions. And just consider these questions. When you pray for the coming of God's kingdom, what do you imagine will happen? What do you imagine you're praying for? What will your life look like? What sort of things would you be involved in? What sort of priorities would you follow? What would your home look like? Your home life? Your relationships with your parents, your children, your siblings? What would your home look like? What would your work look like if God's kingdom were to come? Would you be doing a different job? Would you do your job differently? What would the church look like if God's kingdom were to come? What would our world look like in answer to our prayer 
may your kingdom come. And lastly, how do you imagine all this is going to happen? What's going to be the driving force to this change? In the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, we ask God, and there's good evidence in this prayer, especially with the fourth petition, that we should be praying this, or it would be good to pray this every day, since in the fourth petition we pray for our daily bread, give us today our daily bread. What are we praying for every day when we ask, may your kingdom come? So we have had a lot of questions, and we have then a lot to consider this afternoon. The advance of God's spiritual kingdom. That's the theme. That's what we'll be looking at and considering. The advance of God's spiritual kingdom. It begins in the heart. It increases through the church. It drives back Satan. And it ends in victory. It begins in the heart. What is... The kingdom of God. Perhaps as you were thinking about those questions, you settled on that one. Well, what is the kingdom of God? Well, very broadly, we can define it as it is the domain where God is king. It is the domain where God rules, where God exercises actively His authority and where in some measure There is obedience to God's kingship. Now, obviously, since our God is the God of heaven and earth, then the kingdom of God is big. And this is a big topic. And this afternoon, we're not going to be able to deal with every aspect of this topic. In fact, you could say that the whole Bible is concerned in one way or another with the kingdom of God. Wherever God has exercised His rule, whether that was with Adam and Eve in the garden, whether that was with Noah in the time of the flood, or in in Abraham growing to Isaac, and, and then Jacob and his family, and then the twelve tribes growing into a nation, being governed over time by a king, David, and then Solomon and his sons, There's certainly a development in God's kingdom, and there's a lot to consider there. We're not going to be able to consider all that this afternoon. But it helps to know that the kingdom of God is the place where God rules. Now, go back with me for a moment to your thoughts about the coming of God's kingdom. Let me ask you this question. As you considered those questions, where did the most change happen? What looked the most different if God's kingdom were to come in that area of your life? Was it in your, your life or your, your house? Was it in what your, your work looked like? Or was it in how you carried out your tasks in your house or at your work? 
Well, God's Word teaches us that the kingdom of God begins and affects the most change right here in our hearts. That's where God begins to rule, and that's where He affects the most change in His ruling. Now, many Old Testament passages would support this contention. Of course, there was the kingdom of Israel. How much of that was associated with the kingdom of God? But even there, the Lord was always driving at the hearts of His people. It wasn't about a big military kingdom that could conquer all the other nations. It was about a people devoted to God, whose hearts were inclined to believe in Him, to trust in Him, to serve Him. Psalm 51, verse 17, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. And we see later when the prophets speak about the rebellion of the house of Israel, of of the people of God, that rebellion is spoken of in terms of their hearts. It wasn't the outward actions that were so much the problem. It was their hearts that had gone astray. Jeremiah 4, O Jerusalem, wash the evil from your heart and be saved. How long will you harbor wicked thoughts? The Lord Jesus comes into this world and much of His teaching is about the kingdom of God. And what is it that the Lord Jesus is always focused on, always pointing at, always getting people to examine? It is their hearts. There was an expectation for a political king and a political kingdom to overthrow the Romans. The Lord Jesus turned that on their head, on its head and He went for the hearts of the people. Romans 14, Paul says that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, outward actions, but a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy made possible through the work of Jesus Christ. But where is the effect felt? In your heart. That's where you experience righteousness, joy, and peace. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of the heart. Now, in order to understand what that means, we need to understand what do we mean by heart? What does the Bible mean? when it speaks about our heart. Well, the Bible speaks about heart in a a bigger way than we might, certainly than, than say, a medical doctor would speak about a heart. For them, it's it's a muscle. beats and pumps blood. But when the Bible speaks about heart, it speaks about your mind. It's talking about your will, your the decisions that you make. It's talking about your emotions, your feelings, as well as your physical life. In the biblical sense of the word heart, it speaks about the core of a person. Your heart is, is the best way to describe who you are. What's in your heart is what you really believe, feel, think, decide. All kingdoms have territories. That's what sets one kingdom up against another. It's that, that line, that boundary in between. One, in one kingdom there's one king, in another kingdom there's another king. Well, the kingdom of God has as its territory, first of all, the heart. The hearts of people. So God must rule your heart. 
That is your mind, your will, your decisions, your emotions, your feelings, your whole person. Those are ruled by God if you are in the kingdom of God. But as Jeremiah also says, the heart is deceitful among above all things. The reality is, especially if we look at the biblical understanding of what is the heart, is that our hearts aren't always right. They're not always focused on God. Our minds, our wills, our emotions are not always God-honoring. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, but it's that very commandment that leads the catechism to realistically confess that our hearts are not inclined to love God and our neighbor, but are in fact inclined to hate God and our neighbor. So if God's kingdom rules over our heart and our hearts are are fickle, are deceitful, are prone to wander, how is it that God can establish His kingdom among us in our hearts? Well, that is why we need to pray. We need to pray for God's kingdom to come. We petition the all-powerful Creator King of the universe to overcome and rule over our hearts because we cannot do it on our own. Even our best intentions go astray because of the sinful inclinations of our hearts. The very core that affects us is, is rotten The Bible says we need a new heart. And so we pray, Dear Father, take my heart and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Notice that it's not just a petition if we look at the first part here. So rule us by Your Word and Spirit so that more and more we submit to You. It's not a petition simply that we would submit to God. Yes, that's part of it. But first of all, that God would so rule us. We are asking God, dear Father, please control my life. Control my heart. So this forces us to ask ourselves questions. Do I want God to rule my life? Do I earnestly and really desire that God's kingdom would come? Do I want God to rule my life? To change my heart? Do I want the change that that's going to bring? Do I want the struggles that will come as God takes ownership? When we pray for God's kingdom to come, we're asking for His spiritual rule to take over our hearts And we're asking that He would do it through spiritual means, not the means that are normally exercised by kings of this world, by force, by laws, by actions. We're asking that God would rule us by His Word and His Spirit. So what would your life, your home, your work look like as God's kingdom comes? Would your circumstances dramatically change? Would your children behave better? 
Would you get along with your parents more? Would your sadness, your loneliness, your anger, would it all disappear? The Bible teaches us not to expect external change immediately or even for a long time. The coming of God's kingdom is just like a mustard seed, Jesus says. It starts very small. It starts in your heart. It starts in the the hidden place of your life. But that's where the most dramatic change, the most dramatic growth happens and will continue to happen. What should characterize our lives, our homes, our work, as God, God's kingdom grows in them, is that more and more we submit to God. That more and more God exercises His rule over us. That more and more we are conformed to Him. To what He wants us to be. So the advance of God's spiritual kingdom begins in the heart. But it doesn't just end there. It's not like we are, from God's perspective, just a bunch of hearts running around and doing our own little thing. No, He brings us together. God's kingdom increases through the church. It would be very interesting if we had a survey and I were to pass it around and you were to fill out your answer for what would God's, what would the church look like if God's kingdom were to come? It would be very interesting to see the different answers that we would have. I think probably we think often if God's kingdom were to come through the church, then it would grow, right? We get, we get more people. God's kingdom comes, grows. More people join the church, more people are added to the kingdom. Now, that's not a wrong view of the growth of God's kingdom, but it's not foundational either. In fact, the course of redemptive history, the, the broad sweep of the Bible as he, as he deals, as God deals with his people, shows that God's not that concerned with numbers. With, with big, impressive groups of people. If God was impressed by that, then He probably wouldn't have just taken Abraham and called him. Or just worked with the, the relatively very small nation of Israel. Or when Jesus was preaching and some of the people said, well, this is a very hard teaching and we don't know if we can accept it. Jesus probably wouldn't have said, well, fine. Then don't accept it. And many people left him. John the Baptist says that God can raise up children of God out of these stones as he preaches to the Pharisees. What God is focused on above numbers and and growth, numerical growth, is the purity and devotion of our hearts, of our faith. This is how he's foremostly advancing his kingdom. And so this is now the task that the church is consumed with as the kingdom of God increases through the church. Well, how does God do this? He does it through his word and his spirit. He does it through his word. The preaching of God's word, the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus Christ came into this world to offer his life as a sacrifice 
for our sins so that we might be acceptable to God. The preaching of God, God's Word isn't a, a, a pep talk. It's not an entertaining lecture. It's not primarily focused on, on giving us more information about what the Bible's about or the world's about or, or what psychology is saying these days. If you want to learn about things, these things, you can probably go somewhere else and learn about them better than you would from the preaching of God's Word. The point here is to open up, to learn from, and to be impacted by God's Word. The truth of God's Word and what is central there, the Gospel of Jesus Christ. God increases His church through His Word. The church is, is the place where the Word is, is, is utilized. It grows and it's worked with and it's dealt with and it's preached. And it's, it's held as brother and sister for the, the sake of each other. We, we hold each other accountable to God's Word. The church is where God's Word is at work. Therefore, if we can take an application from that, the church is a good place for us to be. The church is where we, we need to be. We need to be here as we gather together to hear God's Word. This is how God is increasing His kingdom. If we pray, O Lord, Your kingdom come, but the church is an afterthought of our life, coming to church Sunday morning, coming to church Sunday afternoon, being involved with church throughout the rest of the week, if that's an afterthought of your life, then you need to consider what you're asking for when you ask for God's kingdom to come. Church is where we deal with God's Word. God's Word, God uses His Word to build His kingdom. Of course, it's not only the Word. If it was only the Word, we would have no life. It is the Spirit of God who gives life and who ultimately applies God's Word to our hearts. The Spirit makes a home in our hearts, the Bible teaches us. The Spirit uses God's Word to go to work on our hearts and to renovate them. The change that God's kingdom brings... That's the change that the Spirit of God is working in your heart. Breaking your, your pride. And building up your humility. Building up your resistance to sin and, and also building up your righteousness and your joy and your peace. This is why you see the kingdom of God so powerfully in the lifetime of Jesus. Jesus came into this world to defeat sin and Satan. That is the gospel. That is the good news. And Jesus was powerfully appointed by the Spirit to accomplish His task, a task that He continues to perform through the church. The Lord Jesus came and He brought the gospel, the word, the good news of Himself. And He was appointed by the Spirit and anointed to bring that. The word and Spirit came together in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. And He continues that work through the church. And so if we ask God to preserve the church, as the Catechism teaches us, preserve and increase your church, what does that mean? Does that mean that we want God to cryogenically freeze the church so that it doesn't get messed up, so it doesn't change? Does it mean that we want to make the church 
a pristine relic from the, from the past. We want God to put the church in a museum so that it won't get distorted or wrecked. Is that what preserving is all about? No, the preservation that we're talking about is the preservation of the gospel. That which sits at the center of God's word and that which the Holy Spirit uses to work in our hearts, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're talking about preserving the truth of the gospel, maintaining God's word and its wholeness. We're talking about maintaining the proclamation of the gospel, that the gospel would continue to be preached in churches here in Langley and throughout Canada and around the world. We're talking about the unity of the church in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're talking about living out the gospel, that the gospel would be present in our lives, present in humility, joy, peace, righteousness. That God would protect the church from unrighteousness, from unbelief, from apathy, from self-righteousness, those things that are contrary to the gospel. And we're also asking God to, of course, increase the church. That God's word would not only affect us, but would go beyond us to affect others as well. Others who don't know him. That the gospel would go out through the work of evangelism as we bring the gospel to bear on our community. On those who live nearby us or who we work with. As we call people to come and worship with us and to hear the gospel proclaimed. Also, we're asking that God would increase His church beyond the borders of our country as well, throughout the world, the work of mission. We're asking that the kingdom, uh, that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be proclaimed throughout the world. So what would God's church look like if His kingdom were to come more and more? We often think of the you might say externals of worship. Maybe we'd sing different songs or sing different tunes or do different things in the liturgy. But we should be focused on is that the church would be advancing the front lines of the kingdom like a relentless army. That the church would be preserving the truth of Scripture, the truth of the Gospel. And that the gospel would be advancing by the power of the Spirit in the lives of those who love the Lord. That lives would be continued to change and and formed by Him. And that the gospel would overwhelm the hearts of those who don't know the Lord and who now are living in rebellion to His kingdom. And so this kingdom advances through the church. And this kingdom drives back Satan. Third point. We have a powerful king, and our king has powerful means to promote his kingdom, but yet we must recognize that there are many enemies of the kingdom, that Satan's existence is founded upon destroying the kingdom of God and taking hearts away from serving God. Paul says that many on this earth, many serve a stand as enemies of the cross of Christ. And of course, there is the ongoing struggle in our own hearts for Who is ruling? Is God in control? Or are we in control? Or is the world pulling our strings? Or is Satan controlling us? 
So we have a fight. And where is our fight? It's not against flesh and blood, but it's against the powers, the authorities, and the spiritual forces of evil. The fight as the kingdom begins in the heart. Guarding our hearts from the temptations and the deceptions of Satan. This is far more than staying away from certain vices in our life. Because Satan will use subtle means with us. to What he's ultimately focused on is drawing our worship away from God. Drawing our hearts away from God. And that might be an obvious vice for some. It might be an addiction to alcohol or pornography or something like that. But for others, it might, might be much more subtle than that. In the parable of the sower, for example, Jesus says that sometimes Satan snatches someone away quickly. Sometimes he uses trouble and persecution, an obvious thing to, to draw someone away from the Lord. But sometimes he just chokes it out with, with wealth, with the desire for other things, with the worries of life. Read those words this past week and struck by how much those three things describe our present reality. Wealth and prosperity. Desires for other things. The worries of life. They just slowly choke out the work of the Gospel in our lives. But this fight is not only in our hearts, it goes beyond to the world as well. The Catechism talks about all the works of the devil. Satan is trying to establish his kingdom in opposition to the kingdom of God. And so he's, he's building up edifices. He's, he's building up structures in our culture that, where he can preserve his rule. The entertainment industry, for example, is largely dominated by an anti-God agenda. Much of academia, education, is driven by an anti-God agenda. Satan is building up his strongholds there. And he's using that to draw ours in, the hearts of others, away from the worship of the King. Satan wants to confine our hearts to this world and not let them be drawn upward to God. And so our fight is, is also against those in exposing the truth and exposing Satan's plans in the midst of entertainment in the midst of even higher education and many other things as well. And our fight is also focused on preserving our trust and confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Catechism says, destroy the works of the devil, every power, and every conspiracy against your word. If God is driving his kingdom forward through his word, then what do you think is going to have Satan's focus? As he tries to draw our hearts away from God's Word, it's going to be God's Word. The attack on the Bible has been relentless from either drawing us to ignore it or to not be able to understand it as happened in the time that the Catechism was written or in the past few decades in, in academia, higher criticism, ripping whole books out of the Bible saying Paul didn't write that, Jesus didn't say that. Israel never existed. Abraham probably never existed. The world wasn't created like that. Many today have become experts on on taking the Bible apart or only focusing on difficult passages 
and exposing them and, and drawing our hearts away from the Word. If we can't trust that, then we just wander off. And so our fight is to keep this book as one book, keep it together, and allow it its, its wholeness, its whole substance to have our attention. So brothers and sisters, there is a battle to be fought. Where there is no struggle, there is no victory. Apathy and complacency will not do. And so when we ask, O Lord, may Your kingdom come, we're asking that God would preserve and increase His church so that we can be continue to be effective in fighting against the plans and the purposes of Satan and His kingdom. And finally, this kingdom ends in complete victory. The kingdom of God has numerous, powerful, dedicated enemies, but yet the victory of God's kingdom is not in doubt. The victory has been accomplished in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why this book is so important, because it teaches us about the victory that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ, that He won for us on the cross and in His resurrection. That means that the victory in your heart has been accomplished by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of sins, the freedom of your heart from the power of Satan. What that victory is all about. It removes Satan's strongest weapon. In fact, the forgiveness of sins, the the purification of your heart, guarantees Satan's defeat. But now we go back to our questions. What would the world look like were there to be a complete victory of God's kingdom? Well, perhaps you want to close your eyes again or remove distractions or focus in however you do that. Consider this perspective. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride and beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its, is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's the picture of the fulfillment of God's kingship. 
after Jesus has completely destroyed all the enemies of God and sin and rebellion and Satan are no more, then God will have no pretenders to His throne. He and only He will be King. And then He will be all in all. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.